We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And we are live. It is the Thursday evening edition of the Field of 68 After Dark. My name is Rob Doster. We are presented by our partners over at Bet River Sportsbook. I am joined tonight by my lovely, lovely co-hosts, the one and only Ashton Gibbs, the former Pitt legend, and the one and only Kevin Sweeney of Sports Illustrated. Gentlemen, how are we doing on this fine evening? I, I think that we're all doing better than uh, the Iowa Hawkeyes right now, who are currently trailing Wisconsin uh, in the Kohl Center by 19 points in a game that is now 83-64, to 64, Ashton, which means that it just went over the total. That's a good thing for your boy here. How you doing, man? It's been a while. It's been a while, man. I'm, I'm happy to be here, and I'm feeling better than Iowa, that's for sure, man. <laughs> <laughs> not a lot of stops today for the Hawkeyes. No. No, they're not built for defense. Not at all. All right, so um, let's, let's, let's talk a little bit about this Wisconsin team because uh, I don't know if anybody has had a more impressive week then the Wisconsin Badgers, they went into uh, Mackey Arena and smacked around Purdue on, I guess that was Monday at this point. Uh, now tonight they are blowing out a pretty good Iowa team with a really good superstar player in Keegan Murray. Uh, Sweeney, what do you make of this group? Are they are they good enough to go out and win the Big Ten? If you can go into Mackey Arena and beat Purdue, who we all thought was going to walk to a Big Ten title, you probably should be considered good enough to win the conference, right? I still have my doubts just like talent wise beyond Johnny that they can for 20 games win you know, 16 of them, which is probably the number you got to post to go win the big 10. But look on any given night, this Wisconsin team has the opportunity to go beat any team in this league and really any team in the country. And that's because of one man, Johnny Davis. I mean, he is so special. I was in the building at Mackey and I walked in the gym and I, was talking to people and I said, look, the only way that Wisconsin has any chance to win this game tonight is if John Davis goes and gets 30. He said, all right, I'll get 37 and 14. I mean, he's, he's so special. And I think the biggest thing with them, and I've seen them, I saw them in November and I'm seeing them now, their role players are continuing to find their confidence in those roles, right? No one is asked to do a lot other than Johnny offensively, right? I mean, Brad Davidson has to hit a shot or two a game. Chucky Hepburn's got to, you know, get a pick six run out every so often, you know, wall has like two post moves and he's pretty tough to stop in there, but he's not a, you know, an offensive weapon necessarily. I mean, this, this team is built to find Johnny Davis offensive shots. I mean, you know, in, in the rhythm of the offense. And I think, you know, yeah, right and, now and they're just, yeah, here's, here's the thing about them though. Right. So 
we keep saying, I don't know how long Johnny Davis can keep going like this. I don't know how many times he's going to be able to put up to a performance like this. I don't know how often uh, you can rely on just hoping that your star player goes nuts. But here's the thing. Like, he went for 37, 14, three blocks, two assists, and two steals against Purdue on Monday. We're like, how often is he going to be able to repeat that? Well, tonight, I'm looking at the box score right now. 26 points on 10 for 18 shooting, three for seven from three, nine boards, five assists, two turnovers. Like it, it, it's every single night with this dude. That, to me, Ashton, the most impressive part about Johnny Davis is, is that consistency. I want to ask you, what do you make of this guy? Sam Vecini today at The Athletic put out a mock draft that had Johnny Davis fifth. Where do you do you see that? Do you think he can end up being a pro that's that good? I think he's a lottery pick. He's definitely box office. Um, you talk about his skill set. He can score from all three levels. Um, I compare I compare him to Chris Middleton type, a little smaller, a little shorter, but he can score. He can score. He shoots it. And I think the best thing that I just like about him is his approach to the game. Um, he he attacks. He's a, he's always on attack. He makes good decisions. And uh, I like that he passes out the post as well. Um, once he gets into the lane, he can make a good pass to his teammates and um, not only being a scorer, but he could be a facilitator at times when he needs to be. And I think that's, that's why it's so hard to defend. And look, he took like 23 shots, I think against Purdue, 24 shots. I think the number was, I didn't think a single one of those shots was a force. I mean, he, he passed up shots if anything. And I thought, you know, the thing that really popped for me in that game, other than the scoring capability was, he really distributed at a high level. He had, I think, three assists. He got at six or seven. There was He made a left-handed whip pass from the baseline to Carter Gilmore in the corner for a wide-open three, and it was airballed by Carter Gilmore. And I was like, all right, that's kind of what he's dealing with. You know, When he gets the NBA, not, not a lot of guys are going to be airballed on that corner three. I mean, he is a really special kind of secondary playmaker. You know, I, I think he can be you know, a fringe all-star in, in terms of – uh, you know, a high level shooting guard in the NBA. He looks that good to me. And just a, he's a silent assassin, man. That kid is never wavered. You know, he, he, he rolls in with the same exact expression on his face, getting off the bus as he does when he's put up 37 on a, I'm pretty, pretty special. And I think, I actually think it started in the summer. He played with the U19 team and the USA team. And uh, he did a really good job with that team. Jaden Ivey, Chet Holmgren playing with those guys. Um, competing against some of the top guys in college basketball every single day, you can tell it's, tr- it's just translated uh, throughout this season. He's he's got this poise where he he he's probably the best athlete on the floor, like ninety percent. Unless he's going up against Jaden Ivey, he's probably the best athlete on the floor. But he doesn't he doesn't play that way. Like when you watch Jaden Ivey go, it's like a someone that's driving a Lamborghini that doesn't know how to drive stick, right? Like he doesn't quite understand how to harness the tools that he has. Whereas Johnny just kind of goes at his own pace gets wherever he wants to go he's patient he's you're never going to speed him up he's got like a uh, he's got like a glide to him does that make sense like I, I don't know how else to explain it to just say he's got a glide he just kind of gets where he needs to go elevates over you and makes the shot but i, I want to go back to just his his supporting cast because we the the idea here is that the topic here is that can wisconsin win the big 10 well if they're going to get 18 points from brad davison and they're going to get 16 points from Tyler Wall. He had 16, nine, two assists tonight. They're going to get 12 from uh, from Crowell. They're going to get 11 from Hepburn. They're going to get anything from their bench. All of a sudden, this team becomes that much more da- dangerous because you can't focus all your attention, Ashton, on, on just Johnny Davis. Yeah, I love Davison. I love Wall. 
Um, I even like the point guard, the young point guard, um, Chucky Hepburn. I, I thought he did a really good job, especially against Purdue, just being a steady and just heady point guard, making really good decisions, uh, make shots when, he, when they need to. Um, and like we said before, Johnny Davis does a really good job of not forcing shots. So anytime he gets into the lane, if a guy's open, he's a willing passer. And anytime you have that, especially coming from your star player, the sky's the limit for your team. Chucky Hepburn plays older than his years, especially on the defensive end. He made some awesome defensive plays, uh, you know, in, in Vegas when I saw him on Monday and then today as well. He was really good on the ball. He, he's a special defender for a freshman. All right, let's move to another game that happened in the Big Ten tonight. Ohio State went into Bloomington and they got run out of the gym. Trace Jackson Davis looked like a guy that should be a first-team All-American. He looked like a guy that deserved hype for Big Ten Player of the Year. He had 27, he had 12 boards, he had five ridiculous blocks. It feels like nothing that that dude does is quiet, right? Like he's either throwing down some ridiculous dunk or going baseline on somebody and dunking it on their head or blocking a shot off the backboard that you're like, I don't know how he got that, or uh, saving a ball off the top of Joey Bronk's head. He's, It feels like, Sweeney, he's not getting the kind of attention that you would expect out of a dude that's putting up the numbers that he's putting up for Indiana. I think the biggest thing today with Trace was there was an urgency about it. And I think as a leader, that's something that needed to develop for him coming off that disappointing loss against Penn State. And look, you know, the first two years of his career, Trace put up incredible numbers. But I thought when Indiana needed a leader, Trace was quiet, right? And I just felt like in this game, it was very obvious that, that they knew they needed to win this game and Trace was not going to let them. Uh, he came out, he set the tone in this game, uh, both on offense and defense with those five blocks, like you mentioned, Rob. And I think, look, he, he's so explosive and powerful his game is is just incredible to watch and overwhelmed a front court in Ohio state that I think is one of the better front courts in the country. I mean, this is a front court that, you know, beat Duke because they overwhelmed Mark Williams up front. Right. I mean, that's, that's not an easy thing to do. Ohio state has an excellent front court and trace Jackson Davis and to a lesser extent, race Thompson who had 11, 11 and seven today. They won that matchup and got Indiana much needed win. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ashton, are you, are you worried about this Ohio State team? Uh, they're sitting here at nine and three now. Um, they've had they they they're the one team that has knocked off Duke, who for my money is the most talented team in college basketball. But uh, they they lost to uh, Xavier. They lost to Florida. Um, they really struggled at Nebraska on uh, I guess that was Sunday night. Malachi Branham kind of bailed them out by going for thirty five. Uh, is this just a nature like the nature of the Big Ten? You know, maybe we we kind of forgot just how ridiculous it is to go on the road and play in front of a raucous crowd in, in assembly hall. Like, uh, is this just the nature of conference play that you're going to have a tough think, playing away from I home? Think it, I think it's the nature of conference play for sure. But at the same time, they, they just aren't playing well. And I think their biggest Achilles heel is, is guard play. Uh, Michi Johnson. Um, they, they get, they get what they need from EJ Liddell, but, it's just been him for the most part. Zed Key got in foul trouble early on tonight and it kind of hurt him because that's when Trace Jackson Davis, you know, that's when he really went off. Um, but overall, it just the Big Ten overall is just such a tough conference that you get in these slumps. One game can turn into three or four losses in the in a split second. So um, they definitely have, you know, a couple things that they need to 
um, that, that they need to definitely fix. But I think it comes from the guard play. Um, you talk about Indiana, Xavier Johnson, Parker Stewart, backcourt, veteran backcourt that uh, really took advantage of him, I thought, today as well, along with Trace Jackson Davis. So um, if they fix up that guard play, I think they'll be okay just because you know what you're getting overall from EJ Liddell consistently. Yeah, are you worried about it, Sweeney? I'm not because I think they're going to get better as they get Justice Suing back. I think he's so important, especially because once they lost Dwayne Washington, they were going to run a lot of their offense through Suing and Holtman and switch things up. I do think, though, that it's it's a weakness. And look, you know, Holtman tried to address the loss of Dwayne Washington late with Cedric Russell kind of scrambling late. Russell's been a disappointment in the portal, has not made a huge impact with the exception of a really good second half against Duke. I think they needed more from the backcourt to be, you know, a big 10 contender. I think this is a good team, a tournament team, maybe a top 25 team, but to be in that upper echelon, to be in the mix for a big 10 title like they were last year, they need better guard play than what they've gotten so far. All right. I want to ask both of you guys this question. Is, is there a favorite in the big 10 right now? Tough, right? I I still think, I still think Purdue is. I still, I still really do. I, I know they just lost at home to Wisconsin, but look, I think as they've re I, th- I think that loss taught them a lot of lessons about how hard they need to play on defense to win. And I think they have some problems, right? Like Edie is going to put them in some weird spots defensively because of his lack of mobility. And, um, you know, even Stefanovic and Thompson aren't big. And I thought that's, you know, that, that was an issue against Johnny, but I just think they're so explosive on offense that that offense is such a unstoppable force that, I just don't see another team that's going to be able to get to 15, you know, 16 Big Ten wins. I think Purdue is that team. I think they're still the favorite. Would it would it stun me if someone else won it? No, but I, I just think they're just a little bit ahead of everybody else. Ashley? I, would, I would have to agree in terms of Purdue, and the only reason why I say that is Jaden Ivey's just box office in terms of him just taking over a game and his his pace – the way he can literally change the pace of a game from a split second, they have guys like a Tra- Travion Williams that, you know, can finish around the basket, but I love his playmaking skills. He uh, not only um, can he score around the basket, but this guy can pass with the best of them. Um, and that inside that one, two punch in terms of Ivy and Travion, I think overall is going to give them that, you know, that, that win for the, for the big 10 overall. I'm worried about Purdue defensively. They're giving me some uh, some Illinois twenty. Or I'm sorry, some Iowa 2021 vibes in terms of you can't stop them offensively. You can get whatever you want against them because they cannot stop you defensively. Um, I think that that Wisconsin absolutely at this point deserves to be like in the, the best team in the Big Ten conversation. We can't overlook the fact that that Michigan State is sitting there at four and zero. In the conference right now, you can't overlook the fact that Illinois is sitting there at four in the, oh, in the conference uh, right now. Um, I, I do just want to ask you before we move on. I do want to ask you guys one thing: what, what do you, what do you make of the start of the Mike Woodson era at this point? Right, like we, it's not, it's still early, but we do have a fourteen game sample size here. They are eleven three, which is good. Uh, they've won every game that was decided by more than six points. They've lost every game that was decided by five or fewer points. They lost in double overtime to Syracuse, who's not really all that good. Uh, they lost by five at Wisconsin, which actually looks, considering, pretty uh, pretty good right now. And um, they lost by three at Penn State. So all three of their losses came on the road. All three of their losses came in close games. Ashton, what do you make of the start of the Mike Woodson era? 
I think he's doing well. And you talk about the transfers, you know, Xavier Johnson, uh, Parker Stewart, two pick guys um, as his backcourt, Trace, Trace Jackson Davis. Overall, he he has uh, a star. I think they need more out of Xavier Johnson. He did it at Pitt. Um, I think if he's just a little bit more aggressive, looking looking at the basket, um, scoring just a bit more, making a few more plays from the perimeter, I think these guys can be a really good team. But overall, you talk about a first season, especially in a in a loaded Big Ten. I think he's doing really well, Mike Woodson, and implementing his NBA style within it. Um, anytime Trace Jackson gets the ball around the basket, I love the way he utilizes them in terms of isos, pick and dives, dribble handoffs, uh, rim runs, the way he just shows his motor. Um, he, he He's done a really good job, I thought, Mike Woodson. But for them to get to the next level, I think they need more out of Xavier Johnson for sure. I think the one thing I'll say is I'm not sure I would have expected the results to be any different under Archie Miller with this team, right? With, with Trace Jackson Davis. I mean, I, I don't think this team is significantly different than the teams we just saw under Archie. And that doesn't mean the future couldn't be bright. I think, you know, the kids they have recruited and I thought Woodson did a really good job hiring a staff that knew how to recruit. And they've got some really good kids in 22 and 23 that will help be the foundation. But with the group that he has right now, I don't, I don't feel like they're overachieving or underachieving what we just saw for, four years under Archie that eventually led to them wanting to make a change and go bring in Mike, Mike Woodson. And he's got the rest of Big Ten, that, Big Ten play to prove that's wrong. But right now, I, I think they look like a bubble team. And, and I think that was, wasn't that the whole problem before? I guess that's my question with, with, with Indiana right now. And, and look, they have one of the best players in sport and an opportunity to get right back into that mix and uh, climb into the top 25. But right now, I haven't seen anything that tells me they're significantly different than they were under Archie. Yeah, I think we're going to learn – quite a bit um, in, in these next coming games, right? Are you going to smack around uh, Minnesota at home? Are you going to go into Iowa and pick up a win in a game that you probably aren't quote unquote supposed to win, right? Uh, can you blow out a Nebraska team that is pretty tough at home? And then you get Purdue Thursday, January 20th, which is going to be the real, uh, uh, the Purdue at home is going to be the real kind of uh, gauge for this group. All right. I teased it a little bit. Illinois is sitting at 4-0 right now. And here's here's what is maybe my hottest take, guys. I think that at this point, Illinois is the team that is the most underrated team in all of college basketball right now. Uh, no one is talking about them. They were preseason top 10. They are pretty much doing all of the stuff that we kind of expected them to be doing at this point. They're really good offensively. Uh, they're probably better defensively than I think a lot of people gave them credit for. And they are sitting there at 11-3 overall. Um, with uh, with seemingly having figured stuff out after having a rough start to the season, adjusting to the loss of uh, Andre Corbello. So, Sweeney, am I crazy? Is Illinois the most underrated team in college basketball? I think they're the most forgotten about team in the country, that's for sure. Um, look, I, I came away from a loss when I saw them in person against Arizona more impressed than I was when I entered the building. I think that's one of those things that's very rare to do. But they were just... I mean, the two guards with Frazier and Plummer, I think Trent Frazier is the most underrated player in the country. I mean, he is an awesome perimeter defender. He's making shots at a high level. He's way more comfortable playing with the ball in his hands. And I think that's one of the things that I think helped Illinois, even without Curbelo, is that putting the ball in Frazier's hands a little bit more, I think has opened up some things for, for this Illinois team offensively. And then you have maybe the most dominant one-on-one -on -one player in the sport in Coburn on the interior. 
and a great coach in Underwood and athletes all around him shooting. I think this is a team that, that can be right in that top 15 mix. And look, they're 4-0 in the league. They've got a manageable schedule their next two. There's a very real chance. This is a 6-0 Illinois team in the Big Ten, which would be the first time in, I believe, 15-plus years that they would start 6-0 in the league going to do a Martin Luther King Day game against uh, Purdue, which would be pretty exciting in Champaign. Ashton, let, let me ask you about Kofi. Because he is sitting here. John Rothstein put out a tweet today. Um, he said that Kofi Coburn is putting up Luca Garza numbers and not getting near the attention. Now, I wouldn't go as far as to say that Kofi would be my national player of the year, but I would go as far as to say, like, I think a lot of us forgot about the big fella in Champagne. Yeah, he looks like a Big Ten. I mean, co-Big Ten player of the year, along, along with Johnny Davis right now. Um, he's a man amongst boys, and I think he just he, he finishes around the basket. Um, he looks a little bit more skilled. He looks um, just light on his feet, uh, looks in better shape than last year and just looks more comfortable. I think they give him the ball um, in ISO situations and you can't really stop him. You can't stop him. He's passing it out to double teams as well. And anytime you have guys like Trent Frazier making shots, um, it, it's only going to open up opportunities around the basket. So I think I think Illinois does a great job of defending. That's one thing they do. They're underrated. They keep guys in front of them. They contest. They secure rebounds. And uh, like you said, Kevin, Trent Frazier is one of the most underrated guys in the country in terms of just being a two-way guy. He makes shots um, and then just a pest on defense. Um, the sky's the limit. But Kofi Coburn overall, this guy is big time, man. He's a man amongst boys. Um, sky's the limit. He's he's my Big Ten player of the year, along with Johnny Davis right now. Yeah, Trent Frazier's got some leadership qualities that I don't think were there earlier on uh, this season. He's not gonna he's not gonna let things slide in that locker room. I also think it's fair to say that Alfonso Plumber is like the most underrated transfer addition in all of college basketball. Like this dude shooting forty two percent from three. He's averaging like seventeen a game. He's been a stud in in Big Ten play, and part of why. The reason why they're, they're, they're so difficult to stop, Illinois is so difficult to stop, is because they basically have two guys that aren't going to miss if you leave them open in, in Plummer and Trent Frazier. They have two guys that can kind of get their own a little bit if you put them in ball screens. And you, and you add in the fact, like a guy like Jacob Granderson shooting 50% from three, Coleman Hawkins making threes, uh, who, who's um, DeMonte Williams can, can knock down threes. You put all of these shooters – around like the one dude that is unstoppable in the paint. If you let him go one-on-one, -on -one, it's, it's, it's a recipe for success, Sweeney. Yeah. And I think as long as you get the four guards sharing the ball, you know, they're, they're unguardable. And I think, you know, Plummer, his reputation coming into Illinois was a little bit of a chucker, you know, really a, a you know, an impressive shot maker, but a little bit of a chucker. And I think they've gotten the most out of him, especially once Curbelo went down and they, had to thrust him into this 30 plus minute a game role. You know, the two of them just, they're, they're great distributors. They're really dynamic shot creators and they're opportunistic in transition too. You know, I thought, especially in that, that Arizona game, but I think we've seen it all year long. Those two guys love to push the pace and get out and, and hunt threes in transition. And that can be really, really valuable. Yeah. 100%. It, it's, it's a lot of fun to watch them play. Um, and I'm glad that they've kind of turned this thing. The, the, the sport of college basketball needs Illinois to be awesome. I think we can all kind of agree on that. The fan base is crazy. Uh, the, it, it, the, the arena is nuts when it gets going. That shade of orange just works. Like, I, I don't know what it is about orange teams and college hoops, but it just, 
the more that there are, it just, I, I love it. So um, I'm glad they're playing well. Uh, listen, this is the field of 68 after dark. My name is Rob Dosser. I am joined by Kevin Sweeney and Ashton Gibbs. Uh, I want to pivot a little bit. We've talked quite a bit about teams in middle America. We got to get over to the left coast. We got to get over to UCLA because the Bruins Ashton were back in action tonight after a 25 day layoff after a COVID pause, after having, I believe it was three games that were scheduled that had to end up having the plug pulled on them uh, because of COVID issues within other programs. We finally saw the Bruins back in action. They won against Long Beach State. Uh, it was 96 to 78. Jules Bernard, who's going to join us here in a couple minutes, uh, finished with 22 points. The Bruins made 14 threes. Ashley, did we forget about these guys? They're coming off a of Final Four. They were a preseason top five team. Did, did we forget just how good this group is? I think so. And it's that winning pedigree that Mick Cronin brings. Uh, you talk about Johnny Juzang. Uh, I, I love Ty Tiger Campbell at the helm. Um, and just that pedigree, that toughness that uh, Mick Cronin has had even since his Cincinnati days. Um, uh, overall, this is one, easily one of the best teams in the country just because of their pedigree, their approach to the game. They really defend and they can make shots. They, they really make shots. Johnny Juzang is one of the top players in the country to me. And uh, Tiger Campbell just running the helm. I think late shot clock, he can create not only for himself, but for others as well. And Miles Johnson, you know, cleaning up the boards and uh, really changing shots around the basket defensively as well is really what separates them to me. They really missed Cody Riley when they played that game against Gonzaga and got, you know, their teeth kicked in. They really missed him. He was so important to them in their final four run. Now that he's back, this is a dangerous team. Yeah, I feel like you, uh, you've you been listening to, to Sean Miller. I think that he said that probably 25 times um, on whatever platform he's been on on the field of 68, that Cody Riley's been such a missing piece. It gives him a different dynamic, right? Uh, Miles Johnson is that that big defensive presence at the five. Cody Riley's a guy you could throw the ball to on the block and know you're either going to get a bucket or, or have somebody draw a foul. And he's, uh, he's, he's finally um, healthy now at this point. Sweeney, how – how hard is it, do you think, for teams to kind of come off of these pauses? They haven't played for so long. Uh, you got to get back into the rhythm. You got to find a way to get back into shape. You you had to deal with the whole isolation thing again. Like, is that, I, I think that we're kind of underrating how difficult that's going to be. We saw it with Baylor last year. It took them weeks to get back into the flow. Do you think there's going to be conference races that are decided by teams that are just, you know, trying to get back into shape? I think absolutely you the combination of you're trying to get back in shape. And in some cases you're, you're now scheduling games on really short notice and you're, you know, tearing up the scouting report and, and putting together a new one on, you know, a two day turnaround. So I, I just think it's really challenging for, for these teams. And I think for UCLA, I mean, they thought they were going to be able to come out of this pause a couple of times, you know, to face a team. And then that team pops positive just as UCLA gets clean. I think that, you know, that, that challenge will be there. The other thing is the, there's going to be a lot of games that get rescheduled into February. I think that's something to watch as well. A, a, as schedules really load up, you see a team have to play six games in 12 days or something like that. Probably going to lose one you shouldn't when you play that many games in a short amount of time. So there's going to be some wacky results that, that definitely smoking conference races. Yeah, you talk about games getting rescheduled. Uh, this is for all of the people in the Pac-12 office. Please make sure – 
that we get two games between USC and UCLA, two games between Arizona and USC, and two games between Arizona and UCLA this season. You have to make that happen. Let them play three times each. Let them play four times each. Make the Pac-12 conference play just a round robin between those three teams. Look, I know for a fact, I, I checked it the other day, it's a two-hour drive from Tucson to the to UCLA campus. Two hours. That's all it takes to get from one campus to the other. So uh, let's make this happen. I, I teased it a little bit earlier. We have – Jules Bernard, he joined us from courtside at Pauley Pavilion. Uh, we were able to hear from him and talk to him a little bit about what he's dealt with, with the COVID pauses, with this break, and how it's impacted this team moving forward. So we're going to run that interview right now. Now let me welcome on to After Dark, Jules Bernard from UCLA, who had 22 points tonight. Jules, first and foremost, man, you guys are finally back on the court playing games. How good does that feel? It feels great, you know, finally to get a game on a few of our games got canceled after our quarantine. So, um, you know, being able to play Long Beach, uh, you know, they have great players. So it was a great game to, to get on our belt. And now we're looking forward to, uh, you know, our, our games in the future. How, how frustrating is that? You, you go through the prep for a game, you get the scout done, you're supposed to be playing something, all of a sudden it just kind of disappears like that. So how, how, how difficult is that to kind of handle? Or is it just, you know, you, you, we've been through everything the last two years, kind of roll with the punches at this point? A little bit of both, you know, uh, last year we were kind of used to it. This year, you know, kind of felt like we were getting back to normal a little bit. Um, and then, you know, things happen, but um, it's tough. You know, we, we know our coaches are, you know, they have a lot of connections and stuff. So we know they're going to be trying to get us a game as soon as possible. So, um, you know, obviously we got this game, um, you know, unfortunately it wasn't Wednesday, but, you know, Thursday will do. And, you know, it was a great game for us. So. How challenging was it for you guys having the COVID pause right around Christmas? I know obviously it's a great opportunity to get to go home and, and see family. What was it like for the team you know, dealing with it when you guys did? Uh, it was tough. You know, we, we knew that, first of all, we, we were going to miss games. But um, also just, you know, personally, you know, I don't want to get my family any, any sickness or anything like that. So, it was, um, you know, for, for those who couldn't really see their families, you know, around Christmas time, it's, it's tough. But. Um, thankfully, it's over with, and, and, and we're looking forward to the new year. All right, so your your pause is in the past. We're going to forget about that. We're going to talk about happier stuff. Pac-12 play starts for you guys coming up this weekend. Uh, what do you? How do you feel about your group right now? Obviously, you're coming off the Final Four. You had preseason top five hype coming into the season, but you know we haven't really heard from you guys for a couple of weeks. So how, how are you feeling about this group right now? Oh, well, we feel good. You know. We, um, the two weeks gave us time to, you know, get Cody back, who was injured, you know, from the first game. And, you know, we, although we've been off, we've been working hard and practice and stuff. And, you know, people, you know, we might, it might be quiet for us, you know, in, in people's eyes. But, you know, we're, we're looking at, you know, turn heads and, and you know, continue to um, play the way we're supposed to and, and win big games. So we're definitely excited for, uh, you know, the upcoming uh, Pac-12 play. We know we have a great, uh, great league and um, a lot of great teams to play. So we're looking forward to it for sure. How valuable do you think the experiences you guys had last year during your run in March? How do you, how do you, how valuable do you think they've been this year, especially given that really it's the same group for the most part? Yeah. I mean, one, it built a lot of camaraderie and, you know, we have basically the same team this year. So we have this sort of cohesiveness that we carried from last year into this year. Um, but, you know, it also taught us a lot of lessons. You know, we were an 11 seed and, and we, bought, we beat a lot of teams who were overhyped or, 
not overhyped, but, you know, people thought we're better than us. And so, you know, just coming, coming in with that mindset and, you know, we have, we have a high ranking, we can't take anything for granted. We can't look past any team. So um, although, you know, it did, you know, bring us close together and we have basically the same team, it did teach us other lessons as well. So, um, you know, last year is, is very integral in our success and, and, and what we're going to continue to do this year. Well, listen, Jules, we appreciate you time. Uh, appreciate your time. Uh, thank you for joining us here on the field of 68 after dark safe travels up to Cal and best of luck heading into the PAC 12 season. Thank you guys. Thank you to Jules Bernard for joining us. And it was great to see UCLA back in action again. You always want top 10 teams to be playing instead of sitting on the sidelines. Speaking of which uh, we have USC right now, the number seven, number seven team in the country uh, opening up their PAC 12 schedule at Cal. Uh, the game is tied at 18 right now with 10 minutes left in the first half. Uh, some of us are hoping that Bet Rivers is going to end up making a payout after USC wins by uh, six points tonight. So that's uh, that's that's what we're rooting for as a group, as a as a show, as the field of 68 after dark. My name is Rob Dosser. Of course, I'm joined by Sports Illustrated's Kevin Sweeney and Ashton Gibbs, the pit legend. I'm going to go ahead and call you a legend. Uh, all right, so uh, we're sticking on the West Coast with this next segment. We're going to talk a little bit about San Francisco and Loyola. Uh, because they played one of the more unique games that I think you're going to see in college basketball this season. Two top 35 teams in the net squaring off at a community college in Salt Lake City uh, in a game that came together in about 48 hours because both teams were dealing with COVID pauses. Uh, Sweeney, take us through a little bit why this game matters so much. I mean, look, it's it's essentially your old uh, bracket buster game. I mean, these are two teams that if you look at the qualitative metrics are clear NCAA tournament caliber teams, but resume wise, because of the leagues they play in, it's a, it's a high bar to get that at large bid in particular for Loyola Chicago, you know, the Valley is, I, I just don't think there's another team in the Valley that's really going to boost Loyola's resume. And, and so they had the Arizona state win at the battle for Atlantis. They had the DePaul win on the road that the Vanderbilt won on the road, but when they lost that game, they're supposed to play against Davidson on the road due to a COVID pause of their own. They said, if we can get another game on the schedule, let's play it. And, you know, they were on a long pause, finally had another game get canceled. San Francisco had its game against Gonzaga canceled, and it all just came together. And you get a matchup of two really tremendous teams that wanted a quadrant one win. It's a neutral court, so really whoever was going to win that game was going to get a Q1. And, you know, Loyola gets a huge resume-boosting win that I think will launch them potentially into the top 25, certainly – help solidify their chance to be an NCAA tournament team, but also potentially be a top eight seat. You know, they were an eight seed last year. I think the target inside that program is get, get to that same level again. And that was a huge win for the Ramblers today. Yeah. I think that it would have been a bigger win for San Francisco than it would have been for Loyola. I think that Loyola kind of has the, uh, the metrics and the name credibility to be able to get an at large um, so long as they don't do anything stupid in in uh, in the Missouri Valley, they would have been able to get an at-large regardless of winning this game. San Francisco, I still think that they're going to have some work to do. I hope they get in. The Dons are a good team. They're a fun team. Tom Golden is a uh, an analytics mind that is always fun to watch guys like that kind of play. Ashton, I want to ask you this question. Um, how difficult is it to, to prep for a game in a situation like this? Like they didn't know who they were playing 48 hours before they played this game. Like how, how do you prep for that? And how do you, how do you, how, how does that turnaround happen? It's basically like a tournament game, right? 
Yeah, for sure. Uh, but this is the time you rely on your principles and you rely on your habits. And this is this is really the time where those preseason drills, um, those, that that film session, those scouting sessions and everything you're going to do that you're implementing as a head coach um, really comes into effect. I think it really shows um, how good of a coach Drew Valentine is, to be honest, um, a, a really good young coach. For him to only, you know, have a short period in terms of prep, um, they did a really good job against San Francisco. I thought they did a really good job uh, with Jamari Bouye and Khalil Shabazz, the backcourt of San Francisco that has been one of the best in the in the country. And um, I, I love that they shoot the ball at a high clip, shooting the ball over 40% as a team, 50% from the field, and they make really good decisions on the offensive end. Um, so it really speaks volumes to – what Drew Valentine is really building there at Loyola. And, um, you know, the sky's the limit for those guys for sure. How how hard is it to play in an empty gym? Like we just talked about how nice it is to have fans back in arenas and how, how, how tough it becomes when you're playing on the road. Like it's very different when you go into a gym and it's basically like you're playing men's league or you're playing pickup you, you gotta i mean you gotta bring your own energy right how do you how do you get up for something like that yeah you gotta bring your own energy and that that's the time you rely on your captains the coaches um the players and then just internally um you just gotta have it from within everybody loves the game this is the time you know to to really showcase your your ability regardless of the atmosphere um you you bring your own atmosphere and you know create create your own camaraderie and uh, that, that's what they did today, Loyola. I thought it was a great win by them. And it's uh, something that's definitely a resume builder. Yeah, it was, it was a great win. It was a fun game. It was, uh, it was so quintessential college hoops to have a, a Thursday afternoon, 2 p.m. tip-off between two top 35 teams that was only streaming, uh, that was being played in a community college gym. We can't even call it an arena. It was a community college gym. Uh, that is in a state that is not bordering either of the states that those two schools were playing. It's the most random thing ever, and it's perfectly college hoops, and I could not possibly love it more. We were joined by Loyola head coach Drew Valentine to kind of talk us through um, how that game came about, why they decided to play it, uh, and, and what was the the kind of the genesis of it. Like, who who came up with the idea to play San Francisco in the city of Salt Lake? Now, let me welcome on to After Dark, the head coach of the Loyola Ramblers, live from Salt Lake City Community College Gym, Gymnasium. I don't, I don't know if we can call that arena. It's, it's a gym, it's right? Lifetime Activity Center. Lifetime Activity Center. But it's, uh, it's big time, though. You can see how it, like, it's big time set up for real. I like it here. Well, you guys landed a real nice win tonight over, uh, well, this afternoon over um, San Francisco, 79-74. Uh, it was an entertaining game, back and forth, up and down. Uh, talk to me a little bit about this win and what it means for your program moving forward. Uh, a lot of respect to, to Coach Todd Golden and his team. I mean, they are so hard to guard. Um, those two guards, Shabazz and, and Bouye, they're so uh, shifty. Um, they're slippery. They can, you know, knock threes down off the bounce. Um, you know, they can also get to the basket. They're really good moving off, off of the ball. They know how to play. They defend with ball pressure. I mean, those two guards are really good. And then big fella, number 25, Johan. I don't know how to say his last name, so excuse me. Um, but he's he's a monster down there. He can protect the rim. He can drive it in the paint, to drive it from the perimeter to the paint, facilitate all of that. So uh, they're tough to guard. But um, I think this was a, a big-time opportunity for our team, our program, and that's why we, you know, really pursued it. 
Um, you know, obviously they're ranked, you know, you know, top 30, you know, quad one type of game. And, and uh, these are the kind of games that help prepare you for the rest of your season uh, as we head into conference play. Um, you know, we, we were supposed to obviously play Davidson on December 22nd, which is a quad one game. And, and we thought that would prepare us to, to play Missouri Valley Conference play because it's such a grind. And um, uh, we basically thought like, okay, this is an opportunity to replace that Davidson game with a, a San Francisco team. Uh, that is off to a great start. So kudos to Todd and his staff. They're a really good team, and they got really good players. So I do want to ask you about why playing a game like this, right? You're, you're flying halfway across the country to play a Thursday afternoon game that that's not on TV or anything like that. We're live streaming this over the Internet, and it, it's, it's between two top 30 games. So what, why is it so important for you guys to get games like this, not just to prepare you for the Missouri Valley, right? Like this is stuff – this is how you go from being – just a, a one bid valley to, to getting that that at large bid and putting yourself in that conversation, right? No doubt. You gotta you gotta try to build your resume. And I think, you know, we've been really aggressive in scheduling this offseason. I mean, obviously we played in Battle for Atlantis. And I mean, that's that's a monster. Our side of the bracket in Battle for Atlantis featured so like the, the first two games, it was us and Michigan State, and then it was Yukon and Auburn. How about that four? How about those four teams right there? And that's in one half of a bracket about Atlantis. And we're not even talking about how Baylor was in there. So we played that. We went to Vandy. We played DePaul. And now we played San Francisco here on a neutral. And I, I think that shows that, um, you know, we're doing all that we can to uh, build our resume uh, if, you know, things, you know, if it gets to the point where, um, you know, we're in consideration for the NCAA tournament. Hopefully we can be rewarded on the back end for that because I think we've proven it. Uh, our own teams are the two top 10 teams in the country, wherever you look at Lily, AP, whatever, by a combined alone. So um, obviously we got to take care of business in the Missouri Valley Conference. Uh, it's a very, very good league. Um, teams are you know so good there, but uh, definitely puts us in position to um, get a good uh, seed if we end up making the NCAA tournament. Take, take me through the last like 72 hours, right? You're trying to find a team that you know, would be a, a beneficial game for you guys to build your resume. And once you did lock in that you were going to play San Francisco, you had to figure out how are we getting to Salt Lake? How are we preparing for this really, really good basketball team? Like take me through what these last 72 hours look like for you guys. Okay, so we watched film Monday. So our game Sunday gets canceled for Southern Illinois. Or it was, we were supposed to play Southern Illinois, then St. Xavier, a 9D1. So then that got canceled. So we, I said, okay, guys, this was a, a, a you know roller coaster. Um, so let's uh, let's just get ready. We'll have film tomorrow morning on Illinois State, and then we'll come back and practice. So we had a film session in the morning on Monday morning at um, uh, 10:30 a.m. And then literally right after that, I'm upstairs in our practice because obviously my brother's going through what he's going through, and right now my brother's in town. So I go up to work my brother out. And while I'm working my brother out, we start hearing rumblings from our players because they know the players from Illinois State, like Illinois State is poss might possibly have COVID. So we're trying to figure it all out, what's going on. And then, you know, our arena wasn't ready to host a game yet because they're, they're doing some construction like in the upper level to get ready for this weekend. We have a women's home game tomorrow and then a, our, we play at Bradley at home on Saturday. And so then we started talking to the Valley about possibly playing Drake then our arena wasn't ready. And I guess Drake, Drake's something, they couldn't host us either. So then it kind of switched to, all right, let's try to find a, a good opponent. And Todd had actually reached out last week 
and said, hey, if you have anything canceled next week, we got an opening on Wednesday or Thursday. We called him, said, hey, we want to do it Thursday afternoon because we both play Saturday afternoon. So then we started working through the details. We were trying to get Vivint that were the Jazz play. Um, but then we ended up getting here where this is where their G League, the Salt, Salt Lake Stars play. So then we figured that out. So then the only thing we both wanted to play, we both had, we had a facility, boom, we were good to go. Now I had to figure out how I was going to get out there. And I had my Dobo, London to Kobu, trying to, trying to search for charter planes all over the country. Called Porter. I said, Porter, you're at Oklahoma, man. Can you, can you hook me up? I, call, I was calling people, trying to, trying to see if we could get a charter. Um, and then, uh, so we were looking at commercial flights. Then last thing, Monday night, they said, okay, we think we can get you out there. Literally like Monday night at like midnight. And so then we were like, okay, we're going to get back there. But then we, I told Todd, like, okay, we got to play at noon because the last commercial flight out of Salt Lake City to get to Chicago is at 5.30. So we need time just in case we play an overtime game. So then literally yesterday, Wednesday, while we're about to, when we're getting ready to go to the airport, the company hits us back and says, Dane, that's taking us out there, had a cancellation so they can bring us back. So then we can charter home. So it's just been like a – it's been just constant. Then from a scouting standpoint, I got to give my boy Pat Wallace um, all the credit on that one. He got the scout at like 6 p.m. on Monday. And he's our, obviously our offensive coordinator, um, you know, running the offense of, you know, a top 10 offense in the country. And he did the defense too, offense, defense, got us ready to play, put the game plan in, and we were ready to go by Tuesday. Practice. Sorry to talk so much, but it was just a lot. Drew Valentine is, is just the best. And he, uh, he certainly loves to talk. This is the Field of 68 After Dark. My name is Rob Doster. Uh, joining me, Ashton Gibbs, Pitt legend, and Kevin Sweeney. And Kevin, I'm going to you first on this one. Uh, you're close to that Loyola program. I know you know Drew well. Uh, so how did? what do you know about how this game came about, what the process was for uh, getting it settled on Salt Lake? I know you know some of this, so talk to me a little bit about how this game happened. Well, I'll first track back and say San Francisco, all the way back to last year when scheduling first kind of blew up and everyone was scrambling for games, that was one of the most active staffs in the country in terms of being constantly looking to get a, a challenge game on its schedule. And I give them credit for it. And I think, you know, once they knew the Gonzaga game was off, they went back into that mode and Loyola was, was willing to talk. And Loyola was in a situation where it had, as I think Drew, Drew alluded to, like three games canceled in the span of like 48 hours. And we're just trying to find someone to play and, to not only get a game, but an opportunity. I think they realized that just playing a D2 team around town wouldn't have done the same thing for their brand and for their resume as, you know, going out and testing themselves. And so um, the conversation started and uh, there was conversation with other teams. I know they talked about playing uh, St. Louis and there was conversation with a, with a high major as well. I believe Arizona, there was conversation potentially maybe get out to Arizona and play that game, but Look, when you're dealing with things on such short notice, you're just trying to find some someone who can a like sign an agreement and be ready to go. And San Francisco was was ready to go. And I also think the uh, you know certainly they had to find a facility. And uh, I think Pat Wallace was the one who found the facility. Like, of course, that guy's resourceful as all heck, and he found themselves a a gym to play in in Salt Lake. And well, then the biggest challenge was I think flights. They had to figure out how they were going to get there, and they found a charter to get there for for Wednesday. Um, but they were actually booked to be on a 5:30 Delta flight back after the game, and then uh, finally got the, the charter in order. So they got to they go fly home tonight in luxury after a, after a big win. So it was a it was a scramble. Uh, I don't think coaches enjoy having to spend all their time on the phone, like dealing with logistics of putting together a game because they'd rather you know coach their guys. But the opportunity was was tremendous. And I think certainly Loyola, and I also think San Francisco benefited tremendously from a game like this. And 
I, I know there's already a, there's already maybe some hope that these teams could potentially play again next, uh, next year and beyond. So hopefully this is not the last we see these two young head coaches going on. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to give the, the viewers a, a little bit of a peek behind the curtain here. We, uh, we came very, very close to getting this game on the field of 68. And part of the reason we came very close to getting this game on the field of 68 is that uh, they decided to play it at, at noon local time, which made it very difficult for uh, some of these bigger networks, whether it's ESPN or CBS or Fox or stadium, um, some of these other outlets that would send a truck and actually put together a broadcast crew and do the whole deal. Uh, they couldn't do it at, at two o'clock in the afternoon. They didn't really have anywhere to put it. And it was too expensive to just do that uh, on short notice for, for streaming, which uh, would have been great for us if we were able to get it. There were um, some contractual issues that I don't necessarily need to, to go into, but um, the reason why, the game was at noon is because the last local flight at a Salt Lake was just at five 30. So for in order for loyal to get back to play their game on Saturday, they were going to leave on Thursday night since they couldn't get a charter back. It was, it was going to end up having to be uh, having to be a game that was played in the afternoon. So it almost, almost became one of the most uh, fortuitous things in the history of the field of 68 media network, which would have been nice, but you know, sometimes uh, things don't always work out. All right. I want to, I want to close tonight's show out by kind of taking a look forward and kind of talking a little bit about what we're going to expect out of the rest of the season, because it's, it's here. It's officially college basketball season. College football is done and dusted as a Monday night. And by the way, if you're uh, if you're around in Indy on, um, on, on Sunday night or Monday, we are going to be at Ellison brewing doing live shows with the field of 12 after dark guys, Trevor Knight, Bryce Petty, Christian Hackenberg, George Whitfield, we're going to be doing meet and greets. We're going to be hanging out 12 to 4 p.m. We're going to be doing a live show. Maybe we'll get some interactive Q&As. I don't know. It's going to be fun. The beer is going to be flown. We're going to be at a brewery. Who knows what's going to happen? We're three blocks from Lucas Oil Stadium. Come hang out with us if you are an indie. Uh, but that's the end of college football season, right? And it's been effectively done for what? Uh, like two and a half months. But but this is when it's when everything is going to end up looking forward to college basketball. We're going to have these full slates. We're going to have big Mondays. We're going to have super Tuesdays. We're going to have Saturdays, but that's nothing but college hoops. So I want to know, Ashton, I'm going to you first on this one. What is the, the biggest question mark that you have for any team, any program, any coach? Uh, what, what's that biggest question mark that you have heading towards the rest of the season? I think me personally, I, I love Villanova. I'm, I'm a big East guy. But I, I want to see how consistent they are heading into, obviously, now being in conference season and towards the NCAA tournament. Um, they're one of the top teams where I think we talk about winning pedigree with Jay Wright, uh, Colin Gillespie. Um, I just think they, they know how to play the right way. Uh, from top to bottom, everybody can dribble, pass, and shoot. Um, they defend really well. And then just the Big East as a whole, um, will they come along in terms of Seton Hall, Xavier, Providence? Um, and Villanova overall, um, I'm a Big East guy, man. Uh, I, I like it. I want to see overall how, how well these guys do and how consistent they are. And then you talk about some of the top teams in the country. Um, talk about consistency. The Baylors, the Arizonas, can they keep it going? Um, being one of the top teams, can they keep it going through conference play and then uh, make a run and hopefully an NCAA tournament? I think the team that I'm most excited to kind of track as this season uh, heats up is this Auburn team. I think 
we've kind of had these conversations where we're like, these are six or seven teams are the are the championship contenders and it's Baylor and it's Duke and it's Purdue and it's Gonzaga. It kind of feels like Auburn has just been hovering at the top of that next tier. I think it's time to start the conversation about them being in that championship tier, especially as they work Alan Flanagan back into the fold. You know, he's just starting to, to, to get his feet under him. He's an NBA player. If he's, you know, if he's fully healthy and he's at this, the, the play level that he was at last year. And, and to add that to the mix of a team that already has Jabari Smith, who I think will be the number one pick in the draft, already has Walker Kessler, who's become one of the best room protectors in the country, already has Wendell Green, who has been one of the most underrated and least talked about transfers in the country, who's been explosive off the bounce and, uh, you know, gives you kind of shades of that Jared Harper, like explosive, quick, shifty ball handler. I mean, they have everything you need. Not to mention Katie Johnson, who's a, a dog. I mean, this, this kid loves to compete, loves to get downhill. They have one of the most talented rosters in the country. They have a coach in Bruce Pearl who has taken teams uh, to the final four. I, I think this Auburn team can, has a chance to be one of the great stories of the second half of the college basketball season. And this SEC race as a whole is going to be so competitive with Kentucky and Tennessee and Alabama, you know, and, and all these teams at the top. I mean, it's just going to be such a competitive league and Auburn at the top of it. That, that, that to me is, is what I'm most excited about heading into a conference play. Yeah. I, I think, for me, right now, I don't have an AP vote anymore, but I, if I was voting in the AP and assuming everyone holds serve this weekend, I think my top three teams would be Baylor number one, Duke number two, and Auburn number three. Uh, I just think that the, the talent level on uh, – Baylor is what they are, right? They're, they're, they're basically a program. They're, they're kind of like what Villanova was three years ago in terms of – Fortune just, 500 company, one might say. Yeah, Fortune 500 <laughs> company. There you go. Um, but I think if you look at the level of talent and the level of pros, like Duke has five first round picks starting, right? Well, no, they have five first round picks. One of them, they have a lottery pick coming off the bench in AJ Griffin. Uh, I think that after that, Auburn is probably the most talented team in, in the sport. How many pros are on that team? Uh, Jabari Smith is the number one pick. Alan Flanagan is a potential first round pick. I think Walker Kessler, if he keeps playing the way that he's been playing defensively, has a chance to be a first round pick. I would not be surprised to see Katie Johnson end up on an NBA roster somewhere. You combine all that with shot makers. Yeah, I love, I love Auburn. For me, uh, my my kind of biggest question mark as we kind of head into the um, the rest of the season is the team we talked about earlier, UCLA. How how are they going to come back? from this pause because they're they're forgotten like we don't no one no one mentions them anymore right and all they did was go nine and one you know they have a win over villanova um they they're coming off of that final four run right they're still the same team that they were we just have kind of put them to the back of our mind so i'm very curious to see what they end up being uh uh, as this thing kind of uh develops um i want to know sweeney i'm going to go to you now uh who is the player that you're kind of you think has the most to prove, right? Like who is the guy that you're like, okay, this is, this is, this is your time right now. If you're really going to be that, what we thought you were heading into the season, this is your time to shine. Man, that's an excellent question. I think to me, one name I would throw out in this mix would be Ochai Baji, right? If he wants to be a, a Kansas great, you know, a guy who's remembered forever, you know, Look, he's a quieter kid. He's not, you know, he's not as flashy as some of the, you know, national player of the year candidates, but his numbers are special. If he can lead this Kansas team to a Big 12 championship over the defending national champions, the number one team in the country right now in Baylor, over this Texas team that was loaded with talent, 
over some of the other you know, elite teams and coaches in this conference, you know, he'll be in that conversation of guys you remember forever. Like, you know, the way that people remember a Frank Mason at Kansas, he, he needs to take this team to a final four. He has the ability to be the best player on that team. He has the ability to be a national player of the year candidate. I, I think Oche Baji has a lot to prove, you know, to, to go down in, in, in the history books at a place like Kansas and take them to a final four. Ashton. I would say Jaden Ivey, um, and more so because his consistency. I think the more consistent he is, uh, the the better Purdue will obviously be. They they can be easily a top five team in the country, and um, it's going to be predicated on how consistent he is on, on both ends of the court. He he gives them that energy. He's that spark plug, and he has the pieces around him. So you talk about Matt Painter. He's he's done a great job with them. Travion Williams. Um, underneath, he has everybody, Stefanovic, um, he has everybody he needs to be around him. The, the, the more consistent he is, playmaking, not only for himself, but for others as well, and then just playing under control. He obviously has the speed, um, first step, he can get past anybody that he wants, he can finish around the basket, um, but just being under control is his next step. If he can be consistent, Purdue can be a, a Final Four team for sure. So I, I have two. Right. The first one that I'm going with is Ty Ty Washington. Uh, I think that Kentucky's kind of figured some things out a little bit. Um, they've, they've been rolling over people that they probably should roll over. Uh, it's about to start to get really difficult for them um, in the SEC. It started with that road trip to LSU, who like they, they played pretty well, considering that Sphere Wheeler played four minutes and Ty Ty had uh, cramps for much of the second half. But um, to me, he's the guy where, where you can find a ceiling, right? There's no way that Oscar Sheway can be better than what he's been. Uh, Kellen Grady is shooting 50% from three. Like you're, you're not, you're not going to get better than that. Um, Sevilla Wheeler is really, really good, but he kind of is what he is, which is a somewhat limited point guard where Kentucky goes to the next level is one um, kind of figuring out what they're going to do at the four and finding a way to thrive there. But two, have Ty Ty Washington turn into the guy that is a top 10 pick, a lottery pick a guy that came in with that kind of hype. So one for me is Ty Ty two, Caleb Lowe at North Carolina. Uh, if, if the Tar Heel, the Tar Heels have the talent to be a team that can, uh, that can make a second weekend, right? They have a talent, the talent to be a team that is a top 15 team in college basketball. They have not been so far this season. There have been moments where they've gotten their teeth kicked in. There've been moments where they've been embarrassed. And if you are, to me, the, the point guard is like the face of the team, right? He's the lead singer of the rock band, however you want to phrase it, whatever cliche you want to use. Caleb Love's team is getting their teeth kicked in. Caleb's Love team is losing by 30 to Kentucky. So uh, prove something to me, right? Go out and, and, and change the narrative of this season. Uh, so to me, it's Caleb Love. All right, we got about uh, two minutes left here, so I'm going to go to you. Give me, give me, um, give me your key storyline for the rest of the season, Sweeney. 30 seconds. Oof. I think the key storyline is the this SEC title race. I think there's four potential top 10 teams at their best. I don't think all four of them will be, but four potential top 10 teams vying for that, that top spot. I think that league is going to be the most entertaining league to watch in college basketball the next two months. Ashton? I'll say Arizona, man. I'm a big Arizona guy. Um, can they be consistent with it? I've talked about consistency throughout the whole show almost. I, I think they can win a national championship. Um, can they be consistent enough? Ben Matherin, Kirk Kreese, uh, Tubelis, they have from top to bottom one of the most talented teams in the country. 
no reason why they, they shouldn't be a Final Four and even a national championship contender. Tommy Lloyd leaving Gonzaga, taking over at Arizona and winning a national title in his first season, something that Mark Few has never done, would be a hell of a story uh, to kick off college basketball in 2022. Um, so for me, the the – the, the key storyline, like, I, I'm not going to say the obvious one, which is Coach K uh, retiring his last year. The one that I'm most interested in seeing is, is what happens with this Baylor team, right? Can, can they repeat? It, they're good enough to do it. They're the best team in college basketball. And um, the one thing about them going back to back is they really kind of, like, revamped what they are. This isn't the same Baylor team that they were last year. When, uh, when, when Villanova won their two titles in three years, they had a lot of the same kind of key pieces and core pieces that were in place. Um, it was, it was, uh, you know, Arch was gone uh, or uh, yeah, Arch was gone. And, and for the second one, it was Jalen Brunson's team kind of a deal, but it was still like the same core kind of a group. Uh, this is a very different group right now with Baylor. Even when, when Florida went back to back, they brought back Joe Kim Noah and uh, Corey Brewer and Al Horford. Uh, this is a very different Baylor group. And I think that you can make the argument that Scott drew taking Baylor from what they were, to winning back-to-back titles is the single greatest achievement in the history of not just college basketball coaching, but I don't know where you can find a better coaching job than, than that. It's incredible. I don't think anybody has done anything better. But uh, how about leaving? How about leaving the show with that take? Bro? I yeah, love it. Yeah, leaving the show with that take. We're signing off now. Um, this has been the Field of Sixty Eight After Dark for Kevin Sweeney, for Ashton Gibbs, for producer Dagan Hughes, who's been crushing it behind the scenes.